moving around a little bit tonight as far as scripture. I know we have some previously, but tonight we'll be moving around a little bit in between a few different scriptures, but they'll mostly be the same. Uh, But before we really get into anything, I do want to read Luke 20 and verse number 37. Luke 20 and verse number 37, it says specifically, Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live unto him. Specifically in this scripture, Jesus is speaking and he uses phrases that in his context doesn't make sense. If we read only verse 37. Because he said, Moses showed, Moses called, said, the Lord God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. When Jesus is speaking, he's speaking as if Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. So the language in the scriptures are important. And that's going to be kind of the basis behind this this chapter. It's actually chapter 3, not chapter 2. But chapter 3 is it's called You Are Here. And uh, what it gives us the the illustration of or the if we can imagine when you're walking down around Concord Mills and you don't know where in the world the store you're looking for is at. No, Concord Mills, I only know where Bass Pro Shop and Best Buy are. That's it. I couldn't tell you where another place in that whole, except for where you eat. I know that's in the middle. But everywhere else, I couldn't tell you where anything else is except for those two, those two locations. But while you're walking through Concord Mills, they've got these big maps. And on those big maps, they are kind enough to put a little sticker that says, you are here. So you know where you're at in reference to all the other stores. Because if you were just looking at the map, then it would be possibly even more difficult to find out where you are. Even though you can see what's around, you don't know exactly where you are. And that's what we have to do when we come to the scriptures. We've got to be able to look at our map and know where we're at in the scriptures. So what we'll be looking at specifically tonight is the language, the circumstance, the canonical passages, and the purpose of scripture. We can kind of take all of this and overlay it as context. We need to figure out when we're reading the scripture. We know we're looking, we're walking down pathways that are going to lead us to Christ. We know that we can see the streams of the covenants that God has given to help guide us. But we need to be able to see these markers that tell us exactly where we are when we're going through these passages. That same illustration that I had given a couple weeks ago about Charles Spurgeon telling that young preacher that wherever he was at in England, all roads led to London. He, in that same illustration, goes on to speak of him talking to an old preacher. And that older preacher said, he said that not only 
Should you be able to take any road to Jesus? He said, but if you've got to dig down through the ditches and the briars, you'll be able to get to them there too. And while that is not necessarily untrue, what Spurgeon went on to say is that if we follow the roads, they will lead us to Christ. We don't have to go searching through bushes and searching through briars and running through ditches to find him. Now, we might happen upon him if we do that. But the scriptures have given us these narratives. They've given us these streams that we can go by and we can find Christ without a lot of damage to the text, so to speak. If I go and I think Brother Rich, or Preacher Richard had even preached one time about when stuff gets out of the banks of a river, it messes stuff up. And when we will get out of the banks of Scripture, so to speak, we can mess things up. And I'll give some examples of that here in a little bit. But to begin with, understanding that all the roads, while understanding all the roads lead us to Christ, we must be careful not to force our own interpretation onto a text. What that means is, and we, we covered some of this Sunday. When, uh, when Brother Ricky was reading, he talked about in Philippians, Paul said, I've been up high, I've been down low, I've been poor, I've been rich, I've been healthy, I've been sick, I've been hot, I've been cold. He mentions all these things and he says, but I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now, if we look at that in the context of the scriptures, we know what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I can be rich or poor or cold or hot or up or down, sick or well. I can be all of these things because Christ is strengthening me through all of these things. But what we can have the tendency to do, especially in America, is to take scriptures and to force our own interpretation into a verse. So we can read a verse like, I can do all things which through Christ who strengthens me and start to go tell all the high school students that if you just look at Jesus, he'll give you the strength that you need to win the basketball game. Or if you just work hard enough, he'll give you the strength that you need to get that promotion. Or if you just do well enough, he'll give you the strength that you need to be able to achieve that dream car, that dream house. That's us taking our interpretation of what God said and trying to shove our interpretation onto a text of Scripture. Right. It's like when I was younger, they had these, these balls that you had blocks, and the blocks, you had a, you had a round block and a, and a star block and a square block and a triangle block, and the whole purpose of this thing was to be able to put all the blocks in the right holes, and then you pulled the little drawstrings, and the ball opened up, and they all came out, and you did it all over again. Mm-hmm. One thing I was never able to do was to be able to get the square block into the round hole, I was never able to get the triangle into the star because they didn't fit. Right. But too many times we can come to the Bible with a square block and try and shove it through the round hole that God has given us. Or we might bring a star block and we try and shove it through the square hole that God has given us. When God has given us complete instructions on what blocks go in what holes. Yeah. It's not, it's not hard to understand the scriptures if we're not trying to put our own interpretation onto the scriptures. And that was honestly, that was the whole gist of the Protestant Reformation back in the early 1500s. It really lasted for almost 200 years. 
But the whole gist and, and the call that they came out of that with was sola scriptura. It was the scriptures alone. You see, what the Romans had done is they said, yeah, the Bible is great, but we need to be here to tell you exactly what it means. Because if you read it yourself, you're probably going to get it wrong. So we need to be here to tell you exactly what everything means. You can't have the Bible without the traditions of the church. On the other side of that, what they dealt with, and this wasn't as common, obviously, as the Roman Catholics, but then on the other side of that, they had people who said, well, we don't need the Bible anyway because God just talks to us directly. So really, it don't matter if we have a translation of the Bible in our own language because God speaks to me when I'm walking down the street and tells me what I should do, tells me where I should go, tells me what I, what, why the sun's where it's at, you know, why the stars look the way they do. So they had these two sides that were looking at religion in that same way, but their whole mindset was we've got to get back to the scriptures by themselves. We don't need the church telling us what everything means, and we don't need Joe the blacksmith telling us what his interpretation of that is. And they even reference First Peter chapter twenty or Second Peter chapter Second Peter chapter one verse number twenty, which says that there's no scripture of any private interpretation. It's not that Brother Ricky's going to see something in scripture that God shows him, and in that very same passage of scripture, God's going to show Brother Charles something. In that very same passage of scripture, God's going to show Samuel some Samuel something, and all these things are going to be different. And it's also not that God is going to show the church something that he doesn't show anybody else. And nobody can have any belief opposed to that. And that was what they were dealing with in that, at, that, at that point in time. They were dealing with those two sections. And the call of all of those men, all of those prominent men and all of those pastors that we never hear about was we've got to get back to the scriptures. And that's honestly... Any revival, any awakening, whatever you want to call it, that you ever see that was true, that actually showed fruit, where things were different. Not just, not just morals were different, but when people actually changed, it was because people were going back to the Bible. It's always about looking back to what God has said. If we believe he did it right then we need to figure out why, what, how he did it. We don't need to try and figure out a new way that works. We need to figure out the way that he did it. And that's a lot of what happened without going into, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail, but a lot of what has happened in America specifically over the past hundred years is people have said, well, this worked really well. And so everybody called on and started doing that. And then they were like, well, this over here works really well. So we're all going to do this over here. The Southern Baptists specifically said, well, you know what? Having deacon boards run churches works really well, so we're going to have this over here. And other churches said, well, you know, having, having things set up where we just move a pastor around every year, as soon as we, he says you're done there, we move him somewhere else. That works really well, so we're going to do that. So you've got all these different, all these different things that are happening that seem to work well, but the problem is things only work well for so long. 
If you look at the cars today, specifically the car that I'm that I drive, there was a part on that car that was designed poorly, and because it was designed poorly, the power steering hose had a clamp on it that set right up against an air conditioning line, and that clamp sat there and would vibrate and rub a hole into the air conditioning line. It's known to happen on that car. So yeah, it worked great to run the lines that way, but over time, they found out, well, you know, we probably shouldn't run the lines that way. It was efficient then. Everybody started doing it, but we probably shouldn't have done it. And that's what's happened with the church. There were things that were seen as being efficient, things that were seen as working back at a certain point in time in history. Everybody grabs hold of it because it's working for so-and-so down the road, and they left the selects, the solidarity of the scriptures. And that's the reason that we see what we see around us today. We see a lot of churches that are, in essence, dying. They're either dying or dead. And it's because they grabbed on and held to those things so tightly, they would not let them go. And they left the scriptures sitting in the corner gathering dust. When they did read the scriptures, they forced their own interpretation on those scriptures. And I know we all can think of specific places where there are verses of scripture that we've heard all of our life that mean one thing, only to find out that in context they didn't mean those things. I know in my life that's happened many, many times. I've heard a verse mean something, and when you actually read the chapter the verse is in, it's plain as day saying something different than what I was told it meant. Just real quickly, there's a verse that I heard on, the, the reason they said that men shouldn't wear shorts was because there's a verse in the Old Testament that said, God has no pleasure in the legs of a man. That was the verse that they used. And I always thought, well, it's in the Bible, so it obviously must be true. But if you read the rest of the verse, it says, nor the horses prepared for the day of battle. What the psalmist was saying is the God doesn't need your strength and he doesn't need the animal's strength. But what happened was people said, well, this worked well. So they found a scripture to tie along with it and they ran with it. And you get a generation or two generations down the road and you either have people doing something they don't know why they're doing. Or you have people who realize that it was all a sham, so to speak, to begin with and they just leave. Because what they saw and what they were told were two different things. But I've spent too much time on the introduction. There is, it's called the Helvic Confession. It was the second one, and I've got it written down here. This was the statement of faith that all the major pastors and churches in Europe agreed upon during and around the time of... The Reformation. If I'm not mistaken, this was around 1520, 1520, 1525, somewhere in that area. It only been about 10 years since Martin Luther had st- had kind of stoked the fire that was already there. But the ones they were in Sweden, they were in Scotland, they were in Wales, England, France, Germany, the Netherlands, all of these countries in that section of Europe. Those churches got together who had come out of the Catholic Church and some who had been meeting outside the Catholic Church already 
And they said, if we're going to believe something, we need to write it down so people can identify us. Because that's what the Catholic Church had done. They had written everything down so people could identify what they believed. So they said, if, if we're going to identify ourselves, if we're going to have a statement of faith, so to speak, we need to put it down in writing and we need to agree upon it. And that's where this came from. This was actually the second one. So that was the first one, believe it or not. That's why they call it the second one. But it says, the Apostle Peter has said the Holy Scriptures are not of private interpretation. And we've covered that. And thus, we do not allow all possible interpretations. Basically what he's saying, if God said it and he meant something, then he meant what he said and he said what he meant. Nor, consequently, do we acknowledge as the true or genuine interpretation of scriptures that what is called the concept, conception of the, Roman, of the Roman church. And we've covered that. Basically, they're saying we don't agree that it means something different to different people, and we don't agree that it only means what the church says it means. That is what the defenders of the Roman church plainly maintain should be thrust upon for, uh, for acceptance. More or less, he said, get rid of it. But we hold that the interpretations of scriptures be orthodox and genuine, which is gleaned from the scriptures themselves. So what they were saying, if we're going to un understand the scriptures, the scriptures are going to explain themselves. We're not going to try and figure out what the scriptures are saying except by the scriptures. From the nature of the language in which they were written, and they are explaining how they're doing this. The language in which they were written, likewise according to the circumstances in which they were set down, and expounded in the light of like and unlike passages, and of many and clearer passages, and which agree with the rule of faith and love. And contributes much of much to the glory of God and man's salvation. What they basically said is scripture will interpret scripture. The Roman church isn't going to interpret scripture. Joe the blacksmith is not going to interpret scripture. Scripture will interpret scripture. Yes. And it says we will know that it is interpreting itself through the language that it uses the circumstances in which it was written in the light of like and unlike passages and many and clear passages. Basically, what they were saying is they want to look at the language, the circumstance, the canonical passages. And what they meant by that is if a passage seems like it's saying something different than, than another passage, we need to figure out what that passage is really saying. That they were basically saying the Bible doesn't contradict itself. We're not going to pit scripture against scripture. And that's something else that we see in our day. People will take a scripture here and pit it against a scripture here. And you have these two scriptures that are fighting with each other in the minds of the world. That's not how the Bible was written. If we ever get to a place where we are pitting scripture against another scripture, we're the ones that's wrong. The scriptures are not wrong. We are the ones that's wrong. But we can interpret those, again, from, it says, from many and clearer passages. So they're saying if there seems to be a contradiction, there's a lot more that's clear to help clear up what you think. that For that, for that one seemingly contradiction, there's going to be about ten that clear up that contradiction. It's in essence what they're saying. And they're saying that all of scripture is going to point us to faith, 
love the glory of God and to man's salvation or to redemption. So, Brother Ricky, if you don't mind turning to Ephesians 2, verse 8 through verse number 10. Brother Charles, if you'll look at Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 7. Samuel, if you'll look at Ephesians 2, 11 and 12. And Mom, if you'll look at Ephesians 2, verse number 1. And then Dad, if you'll look at Ephesians 8, 2, 8 and 9. So we're going to be staying around in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to move around in that chapter a little bit. And ironically, we've been moving around in that chapter on Sunday mornings quite frequently. Anyway, so a lot of this will be heard before. So the importance of understanding the language of the scripture. Why is it important? Because God has used our language, what men speak. To give us what he said. It only makes sense that if God gave us words to write down words of what he said, then it's important that we pay attention to the words that he gave. So, if you don't mind reading Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10, and we're going to look at some words specifically. Okay. Ephesians 2 8 through 10. For by grace are we saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And again, we've covered this verse on Sunday mornings over and over and over. We can recognize, recognize from this text, if we keep in mind language, if we keep in mind grammar, we can recognize in this text some key words. Words like grace, words like faith, words like gift, words like boast and workmanship, ordained. We see words here that carry with them a lot of meaning. But the words and the grammar serve a specific purpose. It's not just there to be there. And I've mentioned this before. The reason that we use the translation that we use is because it is a translation that is clearer and closer to the original language. Without going into a lot of detail, there is dynamic equivalency and there is basically paraphrase. You have people who are doing thought for thought. Well, the scripture is conveying this thought. And there's some Bibles that are translated with the thought of scripture. But there are other Bibles that are translated with as close as can be done in a translation word for word. If I, speak, if I say, I know in, in Spanish, for example, you don't say that's Joe's ball. You said that is the ball of Joe. So there's going to be some... There's going to be some inconsistencies in the way that we say it versus the way that it would have been said. But the translation that we use is one of those translations that gets the closest to what was actually written. It's not a thought for thought. It's a word for word. That being said, it can be helpful. It's not necessarily needed, but it can be helpful to understand words in their original language. 
I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. I don't think anybody else in this room knows Greek or Hebrew. But what we have been given are commentaries and concordances of people who did know Greek and Hebrew. And not to say that that overrides what God has said, but there are some words, and and I know everybody will have noticed in most of the preaching and teaching that goes on here, we'll mention this word meant this. That was the other night. I remember the word where Paul talks about works. It was the same word that we get diaphragm from. And because you can see that same word, it gives you the understanding of what Paul's trying to convey. We see works, and by no means is that being unclear. But we can understand a little bit further what Paul is trying to convey. So it can be helpful. It's not necessary, but it can be helpful to use the resources that God has gifted us with in our day. We have resources available on our phones and on our computers that people 100 years ago probably would have died to have. And if we have those resources, we need to be good. We need to be good uh, stewards of those resources. The, a, a preacher 100 years ago who used a word incorrectly, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal because he didn't have those resources. He was a steward of what God had given him, and God used him because he stewarded what God had given him. If we don't use what God has given us, we will not be found as good stewards of what he has given. And God is not going to use people who aren't good stewards. And we see that through numerous parables in the scriptures. The reason that you don't see any camp meeting, quote-unquote, preachers that are seeing hundreds of millions of people get saved, like you may have back 100 years ago, or 200 years ago, or 300 years ago, is because we're not good stewards of what God's given us. They were good stewards of what God's given them. They knew the scriptures. We have more resources today, and we don't know the script. We don't even know the res- We have more resources, resources of scripture and know less scripture than they knew. But we have to be good stewards of what God has given us. And that all being said, we can be helpful to understand what, those, what was being said when Paul was actually writing. And that's where we see the language kind of come into play. Ephesians 2, 4, verse 7 through verse 2, verse 4 through verse 7. Verse 4 through verse 7. Yes, sir. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with promise, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. It's just in that short text. We looked at verse 8, 9, and 10. We've looked at verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. In that short section, if we look at the language, we can understand what he's saying because he's using clear language. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us. If we want to look at this, 
and kind of reverse engineer like you would do if you're putting a part on your car that you've never put on before. You're going to reverse engineer the old part so you know how to put the new part back on. If we reverse engineer this text, we can see that we are ordained to walk in good works. Why? Because we were created to do that in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we're God's workmanship. Why are we his workmanship and not ours? It's not of works, lest any man should boast. How did all this come about? By grace are you saved, through faith. And that not of yourselves, it was the gift of God. So the works that we do and the work that God did, it's all not of us. Why? So we can't boast. Why did he do all this? That in the ages to come, he might show forth the riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. How could he do this through Christ Jesus? Because he raised us up together and put us in Christ Jesus. Why did he have to raise us up? Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But how did he do it? He quickened us. How? In Christ. Why did he do all this? But God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. If we look at the language of the text, we can understand exactly what God is trying to say to us. He's saying, I'm rich in mercy, more mercy than you could even fathom. And I love you more than you can even fathom. So while you were dead, I made a plan to quicken you in Christ and to raise you and put you in Christ, seated with Christ, so that through eternity I could show how good I am. And then he goes to restate for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. He's saying all this. Why can God show his kindness? Because it was all him. A lot of works, lest any man should boast. Because we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God had foreordained that we should walk in him. So basically what Paul's telling us is God did it from beginning to end. It's done and you don't even know it. Basically is what he's saying there. And the language is clear. That's why when we read the Bible, we can't just pull out a verse and make it say what we want it to say and force our interpretation on that verse because that verse is saying what God has said. We mess with God's own words when we try and force an interpretation on what he has said. If anybody ever stands up here or anywhere else and says something against what God is clearly saying, he is wrong because God is always right. If I ever get up and say something against what is clear in the scriptures, I am wrong. And if I do that, it is your job to call me out and tell me I am wrong. And it is my job to receive that in love. That's why we are here, is to help one another grow in Christ. If we see a brother start to stray, we are called to bring him back to Scripture. And he is called to receive that rebuke in love. We're to rebuke in love. He's to receive it in love. 
It's not done in a hateful way. Anytime any rebuke is ever done outside of love, it is not of God. Because the scriptures are very, very clear on how that is to be done. If it is done in love and in a broken heart, then it's done according to scripture. But we can't mess with the language of God's word. Second of all, not only look at the language, but we look at the circumstances in which Scripture was written. And this goes to an illustration that if my wife asked me, Jeffrey, would you like some Dr. Pepper? Because she's my wife, because she's a relatively nice person, because we've been married for 11-something years— I know when she asks me, would you like Dr. Pepper? She is saying, would you like me to get you some Dr. Pepper? Whereas when we first met and she said, would you like Dr. Pepper? It was out of curiosity. So there was a circumstance in which this conversation happened that we can misunderstand if we don't understand the circumstance that is happening in. And we see that same exact thing in Scripture. Paul uses athletic analogies because the people he was writing to were athletic. Paul uses military analogies because some of the people that he was writing to were Roman soldiers. John the Beloved, in the revelation of Jesus Christ, he writes to the Laodicean church and talks to them about being lukewarm because they lived in a city where they had lukewarm water. These things were written under circumstances that these people would understand. When we hear lukewarm water, we think, well, it makes you sick. When they heard lukewarm water, they thought, well, it's not really good for anything. What did Christ say? If you don't live a specific way, you are like salt that's lost its savor. So if we understand the circumstances that these conversations are happening, we can understand what is being said. Similarly to the, and I don't, not that anybody has to go read it, but something that I had written about 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. If we understand the circumstances to which this was being written to the Corinthian church, those verses make more sense because we understand what was being said when they were written. Matthew was written to a specific group of people. Ephesians was written to the Ephesians. We get application from what was said. But the circumstances of Paul's writing to the Ephesians may have been different than the circumstances that we're dealing with right now today. It applies, 100% applies. But when Paul tells, for example, when Paul tells through Timothy, the Ephesian church, that women ought not have braided hair, he was speaking not necessarily to their braided hair, but to the basically that they were being showy with themselves. That's basically what he was saying. And the reason that we don't preach against braided hair here is because we understand that there was a circumstance under which Paul was writing these, these things through Timothy. 
When we look at the word modesty in Scripture, it always talks about our attitude, how we're showing ourselves. It's a heart modesty before it's ever an appearance modesty. And we can understand that if we look at the circumstances to which things were written. And we'll see this in Ezekiel played out very, very clearly here in just a minute. But we need to understand those circumstances. So Samuel, I think you had Ephesians 2, 11, and 12. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, Mom, if you'll read Ephesians 2 and verse 1. And you have trespasses and sins. So, circumstantially, who is Paul talking to? We've seen what he said, but who's he talking to? Verse 1, he says, And you hath he quickened. So he's talking to somebody who has been quickened. Yeah. Right? Yes, yes. If we get down to verse number 11, who were these people that had been quickened? Gentiles. Gentiles. So now we understand the circumstances in which Paul's writing this. Paul's writing to these people specifically because they are Gentiles who have believed. We're not... And, and don't... 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 Get me wrong when I say this. Ephesians 2.8 is not a salvation verse. It's not an, a verse of evangelism. It's a verse of assurance. How do we know that we're saved eternally? Because it was by grace through faith that we didn't even have, that he did the work. Does this apply to lost people? Yes, it, it, it definitely does apply. That if you are lost, God can save you by his grace through the faith that he gives you through his word. But the text itself is speaking to those who were dead. And he's taking this. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 is God explaining through the Apostle Paul who they are. And we know this. We know this. We're we're very, very well read in Ephesians on understanding that it's talking about who we are in Christ. It's talking to save people. It's giving them assurance. But that was the circumstance under which Paul was writing. And that goes back and ties in with the language. If we look at the language, we can gather the circumstance or the context in what Paul's saying. So we see this. First of all, we can see the language. Second of all, we can see the circumstance. Thirdly, we need to look at the canonical passages. These are passages that seem to contradict each other. There are passages that are going to seem like they contradict each other to unbelievers. There are going to be unbelievers who look at the Bible and say, well, this contradicts that. And boy, do I have news there are going to be passages that seem to contradict each other to those who are believers too. 
There's a reason that we have Baptist and Presbyterian and Methodist and Lutheran. There's a reason that we have different denominations. There's a reason that we're, and don't, hopefully nobody looks at me weird when I say this, but there's a reason that we're a little bit different Baptist than most of the Baptists around us. Because there are believers who look at passages that seem to contradict each other. But does God contradict himself? If there's no contradictions in God, is there, could there be any contradiction in his word? We don't believe that. We don't believe – we believe the scriptures are inerrant, they're infallible, and they're sufficient. They're enough. We don't need anything else. But there are scriptures that seem to say different things. Now, if you'll read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and then right after that, I'm going to read James 2, 21 and 24. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, we've read that. Not of works, lest any man should boast. James 2, verse 21 through 24, says... Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Seeing that how faith wrought in his works and by his works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see... Then, how that by works man is justified, and not by faith only. <clears throat> so what did we just read in Ephesians? He said, by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It's not of works, it's the gift of God. Well, James just said, you see then now, that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Seems like these two guys are saying something completely different. <laughs> and I have, I have heard, I've been in the room with Muslims <clears throat> who have been talking to Christians, and they bring this up. They say, even your Bible doesn't, even John, James and Paul don't agree with each other. Oh, you have all these churches all over the place. You have all these translations of the Bible all over the place. And even the people in your own book don't agree. How can we believe what you're saying? There are people that I know, even who do claim to be believers, who look at this and say, well, faith is enough to get you in, but you got to do works in order to get to heaven. God will save you, but you got to do, you got to, God will get you up to par, par but you got to do the rest. There are, there are churches that, that teach that. But is that, what, is that what the Bible's saying? Because there's two separate texts that seem to be saying two separate things. So the question to us is how do we reconcile Paul and, John, Paul and James? How do we get Paul and James back together? Anybody have any idea? You figure out who they're talking to. Figure out who they're talking to. What the circumstances are. What the circumstances are. He did. What 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 they were talking about, Rahab and Abraham and those people there was before by the law. 
fulfill it. Jesus came to fulfill it. Yep. God's plan of salvation by grace through faith, which I've always heard it this way. They were looking toward the redeemer. Right. And we're looking back at Yeah. They 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 paid on credit, we pay on debit. There you go. It's the same thing. <laughs> they were looking looking that way, we're looking that way. See, James was talking to a group of believers. If we if we look over in chapter number one, he says, James is servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy. So he is he, he says that I am of the tribes who have been scattered abroad. And then he says, my brethren. So who's he talking to? He's talking to his brethren. His brethren in the flesh. If we look at the historical context, what were his brothers in the flesh saying? They were saying, well, Jesus, Jesus is good. But you need to be circumcised. You need to keep the Sabbath. You need to do all these things in order to really get to where you need to get. And then you had other people who were saying, no, 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 y'all, 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 Jews, we're Jews too, but you don't get it. We don't have to do anything now. We don't have to live like anybody. We can do whatever we want. We can sin. We can do anything. So you have these two groups of people that James was writing to. He said some were trying to keep the law and some said we don't need the law. Some said... You can murder if you want. And others said, people said, you better not even pick up a stick on, on Saturday. Right. You have these two groups of people. If we read through chapter number two, if you, even if you look at the headings, you can kind of get a grasp of what's being said. It talks about trials, being made patience, hearers of the word, and doers. That's where we get the, we get the verse where James says, don't just hear the word, do the word. And then he can, starts to condemn them in chapter number two. He says, my brethren, have you not, have, you not <clears throat> have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in and also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to that man who wears the gay clothing and saying to him, sit here in the good place. But you say to the poor, stand now or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world? Rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that name, that worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, ye commit sin 
and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that saith, do not commit adultery, saith also, do not kill. Now, if thou com- commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do ye, as that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy, and hath shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one say, one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith. And I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you thee my faith by my works. And that's the key to this whole text. What James is saying, he's saying, you say that you believe in Christ. But when somebody comes in, even though they hate you, they're mean to you, they're rude to you, they oppress you. When somebody comes in that has a higher status, you show them a lot of favor. If somebody comes in that they look like they might be asking for money, you say, well, you know, you sit in the corner. I don't want anybody to see you. What James is saying, he said, how does that profit anybody? How is anybody going to get any? How is that person that you put in the corner going to get any gain anything from your faith? That's what he means. He's not saying that the faith that we have is dead. He's saying it's dead to that person. God doesn't need our works, and he was clear about that in Ephesians. But our neighbors do. That's the reason we show love one to another, because our neighbors need our, our faith is worthless without works to back it up. If I tell my coworker I'm a Christian and treat him like trash all week, he's not going to look at him and say, oh, well, he, I, I want to know about Christ. That is, he shows so much love. My faith to him is worthless. It's dead. James says my faith is dead to that man. And that's where we come down to where he says Abraham was justified by works. And this gets into some of that language. The word justify here is a different word than justify in Ephesians. The word justify here means to prove or to vindicate. The word justify over in Ephesians is a legal term. It means to exonerate. We're not, we're not called to exonerate ourselves by our works. God don't care about our works. He said they are filthy. But we are vindicating our faith to our brother by our works. There are people that probably come to everybody's mind who they say they're Christians. They may go to church weekly. But they don't live like a Christian. They don't show love like a Christian. They don't portray Christ like a Christian. They don't teach the scriptures like a Christian. 
Now, they may really be saved. We don't know. God knows. We don't know. But for us, their faith is dead. It's vain. It's useless. It's worthless. I don't need your faith if it's like that. I don't want it. The reason the world doesn't want what the church has is because the church doesn't have the works vindicating their faith. They say one thing with their mouth, but they do something else with their feet and with their hands. That's how we reconcile these passages. We look at the language of the passage. And again, we don't have to do that. It's good to do, but if we look at the circumstances of the passage and the context of the passage, the passage explains itself. And that's what those men meant. He said, those men, when they said that for every, basically for every contradiction, there are ten places that clear it up. That's what they meant. They said, you find a contradiction in these two verses, in verse number 21 and verse number 24, you find a contradiction. But if you read the rest of the verses, it clears it all up. Makes sense. And that's what we, that's what... In, in that room with, that, with those Muslim people, that's what they did. They showed them what James was saying, that James wasn't agree, disagreeing with Paul, and they were able to take that and bring them to the gospel. Now, none of, them, none of them professed Christ, but they left there seeing and understanding the gospel from the book of James that they thought was a contradiction. Mm-hmm. When we are following the scriptures correctly, we can take these contradictions to believers and unbelievers alike and show them Christ. Christ is still there. He did it all and he does it through us. Paul, Paul and James are hand in hand saying, look, we're pushing up the same wall. Paul's saying, Christ did everything for you and he's doing everything in you. And James saying, if he's doing everything in you, then you have what he did for you and the world can see it too. That's where he reasoned his, where his workmanship Yes. They're, they're the saying the same thing. Scriptures are not pitted against each other. And the circumstances and the language and the other text prove that. Anytime we come to a text that seemingly disagrees with another text, there are texts to prove what's being said. And I probably shouldn't even, I probably shouldn't even go down this, down this road. <laughs> but there, there are people there are people that say and this is everybody in here knows what I'm saying when I say this there are people that would have accused a certain group of people of believing a specific thing by saying well you believe that Jesus didn't die for everybody and they take verses in 1 John that say he's the propitiation not for our sins only but for the sins of the whole world yeah. and then somebody else on the other side may say well Matthew says that he came to save his people from their sin. Well, if we look over in Second Corinthians chapter number 5, Paul said Christ was reconciling the whole world in his flesh. So we've got these three texts. One is in the middle, one is on this side, and one is on this side. And this is stuff we see argued about today in Rowan County. But we talked about it last week. Who'd Noah build the ark for? He built the ark for the world. Yes, yes. Who got on the ark? Who, 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 who died in the flood? Those who didn't get on the ark, right? right? Jesus is the propitiation for our sins only. But not only for our sins. For the sins of the world. Yeah. He's for the world. 
But there's a stipulation. You got to get in. If you get in Christ, he was a propitiation for your sins. But he can be a propitiation for the sins of the whole world. He died to save his people from their sin. Who's his people? The ones that go in him. Scriptures are not to be pitted against each other. When we do that, we we are wrong. I'm I have I have done I have pitted scripture against each other in years past. Granted, I mean I would blame it on being an ignorant teenager, but I've done it. I was wrong. What I believed ten years ago was wrong. Not all of it, obviously, but there are things that I believed that was wrong. How did I find out it was wrong? Because the scripture showed me I was wrong. I didn't have to have anybody else tell me. I didn't have to have a church say something. I didn't have to have a Sunday school teacher say something. I didn't have to have my neighbor across the road to say something. I didn't have to read a book by somebody. God gave me his word. And his word is clear. It's not muddy. It's not a puzzle. It's a painting. It makes sense. You look at it. It makes sense. (laughs) We just look at little tiny sections. We won't look at the whole thing. God just saying, back up and see it, people. My goodness. Just look. Anyway, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have went off all into that. But we need to look at all the text to explain all the text. They don't disagree with each other. The Old Testament doesn't agree with the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't agree with the Old Testament. Paul doesn't disagree with James. James doesn't agree, disagree with John. And if I said agree, I, you know what I meant. Everything's in agreement. God's in agreement. Yes. The Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit are in agreement. They're not saying different things to different people. They're in agreement. So we see all the text, the canonical text, the passage, the like passages and the unlike passages are explained by clearer passages. That's what they said in that statement of faith. That's what they wrote. They said if we see something that doesn't seem to be like something else, it's explained by many clearer other passages. Fourthly, and we'll, we'll go through this one quickly. It's important to understand the purpose of Scripture. Scripture is not meaningless, and it's not a self-help book. It's a book that's been given us to us because we can't help ourselves. The purposes of the Scripture can be found in faith, love, and contribute much to the glory and man's salvation. And we can see this played out in the scriptures that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 2. We can see all four of these. We won't always see all four of these, but you can see all four of these played out in this scripture. For by grace are ye saved. What's that about? Anybody? It's about to be it, it is. But if we're looking, if we're talking about faith, love, glory, and salvation. What is. <laughs> I guess I should have specified. Our by grace are you saved. It's by our salvation. Through faith. What's that about? Faith. Faith. That one's easy. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Who's getting the glory? God's getting the glory. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. James told us about those. And there we see love. 
Real quickly, Ezekiel chapter number 34. And again, like I said, I, I promise you I will be wrapping things up. We've gone, oh, not horrible, but anyway. Anyway.